go ahead and take a look at the scripture first thing uh, before we get into the sermon this morning. And it comes out of the comes out of the Gospel of Mark, and it's Mark uh, chapter eight. We're going to be looking at a few verses, verses thirty-one through thirty-eight. And again, I just want to read through these real quick, and then I'll it's it, it kind of kind of going to break it down into two different sections. Um, but anyway, we'll come back and, and go back over it here in a second. But starting in Mark eight, uh, verse thirty-one. <clears throat> says he, he being Jesus. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and people took him aside and he began to rebuke him. You imagine rebuking Jesus. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If when anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and this sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Word of God for the people of God. I want you to ask yourself, begin this thing by asking yourself some questions this morning in relation kind of to what we just read. Do we recognize Jesus? I recognize Jesus. Do we recognize Jesus? Would we recognize Jesus if he walked in that door this morning? Do we live as though Jesus truly is our Lord? Do we deny ourselves and follow Jesus, or do we deny Jesus and follow ourselves? I've talked to you guys before about this idea of Jesus being our Lord our Savior and our Lord. And I'll just mention it briefly one more time as we get into this. We confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord, but my question is this morning is, do we live like it? Certainly every single person in this room, to the best of my knowledge anyway, would declare Jesus as both of these things. I don't know that for a fact. I'm assuming most of you would. But is Jesus really the Lord of our lives? Undoubtedly, he's the savior of our lives. We all accept that. We all claim in mouth, in, in words anyway, and on the surface, that Jesus is our Lord. We know that Jesus saves us as savior from what? He saves us from sin. He saves us from separation from God in eternity. <clears throat> what does it mean that he's our Lord, though, when we use that phrase, savior and Lord? Well, Jesus is king, right? Jesus is Lord, Jesus is somebody that we follow. If Jesus is our King and our Lord, then he's the rule maker. I don't want to call him a dictator, because he's not that. But we follow him. We do what Jesus says. Jesus has a lot of kinds of number of commands, a lot of teachings. If Jesus is truly Lord of our lives, we follow those things. We are followers. Y'all have heard us use that word time and time again, disciples of Jesus. 
So ask yourself that this morning as well as we kind of go over these verses. Would I recognize Jesus today if I saw him? Do I live as though Jesus truly is my Lord? Because a lot of us today, I don't even today, I don't think that a lot of us really know who Jesus is. If we do, we have to ask ourselves, do I live, if I call him my Lord, do I live as though I actually do know who Jesus is? Because in the scriptures today, Peter didn't know who Jesus was. Peter knew what Jesus was, no doubt about that. But clearly by his interaction with Christ that we read here this morning, he had no clue who Jesus was. Let me tell you what I mean by uh, Peter knew what Jesus was. If you were to back up a little bit prior to these verses, a little bit in Mark chapter 8, they have this discussion. Jesus has this, this, this discussion with the disciples, and it's right before verse 31. It's verses 27 through uh, 30. And it says this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, Jesus asked them, Who do people say that I am? And the disciples replied, Some say you're John the Baptist, others say that you are Elijah, and still others say that you are one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked. What about you? Jesus asked the disciples. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. And that's where we pick up here in verse 31 this morning. Peter knew what Jesus was. But in our verses today, he also followed that up, not knowing who Jesus is. Despite that recognition of Christ being the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ that they had been waiting for, the one that had been prophesied about for so long, Peter still has no clue who Christ is. Do we have a clue today who Christ is? Look again at verse 31 and 32. He began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Let me get one more verse. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, this, this message right after admitting, right after conceding, right after showing, telling, yes, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the one we've been, it's been prophesied about. Right after that, Peter follows it up with, whoa, oh, Jesus, I don't know about that. Peter didn't know who Jesus was. That wasn't the message that Peter wanted to hear. Nor was it the one he expected. What kind of Savior subjects himself to that? What kind of Savior subjects himself to suffering? What kind of Savior rejects himself uh, to, uh, to, rejection, to rejection, subjects himself to rejection? Rejection by religious leaders, rejection from priests, elders, teachers of the law. What kind of Savior predicts his own death at the hands of these same people? That's not the type of Savior that Peter was hoping for. That's not the type of Savior that any of them were hoping for. They wanted a king. They wanted a warrior. They wanted somebody who was going to free them from oppression. 
under Roman rule through military means. They wanted a political savior. The same type of savior that a lot of us still want today. Certainly, they didn't want a savior who was talking about laying down his own life. So Jesus rebukes Peter. even refers to Peter as Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God here. You have in mind human concerns, Christ tells Peter. See, Peter, again, expected a different kind of Savior. He wanted a human kind of Savior. But this was not the way of God. He still didn't know Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was, and he did not recognize him. You would think that if anybody, you would think that if anybody would have known who Christ was, who Christ, what Christ was all about, that it should have been Peter, and it should have been the other 11 disciples. This ragtag kind of group that literally left everything. You know we've talked about uh, the first call of some of these disciples who literally left everything behind to follow Christ for those three years of his ministry. They heard God. They heard Christ teach. They actually saw him perform all of these miracles. They observed him. They mimicked him. They were literally being taught every day of their lives for three years the ways of Jesus. Yet they still, up to this point, don't know anything about him. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he's all about. They don't know his character. They certainly don't know his message. Let me read this to you. This is from a commentary that I, that I went over as I was preparing for this. This is really, really good stuff. <clears throat> but the author of this commentary writes this. He says, he or she, I can't remember if it was a he or she, but they write, the disciples cannot imagine a Christ who suffers and dies. How can a Messiah win if he suffers? How can a Messiah bring about a victory and freedom if his enemies triumph? How can a Messiah redeem if he is killed? Now listen, church, and pay very, very, very close attention to this next statement. I wish I'd written this myself. To be, because here's your answer. How could they be like this? How can they spend all this time with Jesus and still not know him? Here's your answer. To be in close proximity to the life of Jesus does not exclude the possibility of misunderstanding and misinterpreting the way of Jesus. Where are we at this morning? Where are y'all at? It's not a trick question. We're in church. Guess what? To be in close proximity to Jesus does not exclude the possibility of misunderstanding and misinterpreting the way of Jesus. Fast forward 2,000 years, I wonder if a lot has changed because if anyone should know Jesus today, you would think that it would be the church that actually bears his name. I wonder, though, do we know, do we we like to beat Peter up here in this story, but do we know Jesus today? Because I wonder sometimes if Jesus has not become more of our mascot than he has become our Savior and our Lord. I more wonder if Jesus has not become more of our mascot than he has become our example. It is very easy for us, church, to try to mold Jesus, to try to mold Christ into our own image as opposed to allowing ourselves to be molded into his. I wonder 
when we're faced with the real prospect of following Jesus if more of us are like Peter, rebuking Christ, rebuking his call to self-denial and authentic, costly discipleship. Whoever, we read in our scripture today, this is the second part, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and must take up their cross and they must follow me, Jesus says from our scriptures today. Here's the thing about Christianity and being disciples, being followers. Here's the thing about taking up our crosses and following him. You know, in the season of Lent, as we look forward to Easter, we are reminded that the very foundation of Christianity and who we are as a church is the cross. cross, that place where Christ gives us the ultimate example of self-denial, literally laying down his life for others, for the sake of others. This is our call, church. I'm not saying we're all called to go to the cross, but we are certainly called to lay down our lives for the sake of others. I'm not talking about taking a bullet either. I'm talking about day-to-day life. Are we laying down our lives, our pursuits, our wants, for the sake of other people? Are we living into this call to reject the ways of the world, to give all that we have for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of other people? Our scriptures today conclude, y'all can put this up, verse 38, these words from from Jesus. In verse 38, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You say, well, pastor, I would never, I would never be ashamed to be a Christian. I'm a proud Christian. I'll display it all over my social media page just to let you know how proud I am. I would never deny Jesus Christ. People love to brag about that all over their their media profiles all the time. Again, let me read you something else that I wish I had written myself. If you don't take anything else, home today. Take this. Being ashamed of Christ does not always appear as outright denial of Christ. Sometimes denial is enacted by those who claim Christ and yet embody a way that is completely opposite to Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Our lips utter praises while we curse our neighbor. Our hands raise in worship while we're hostile or we are indifferent to the most vulnerable among us. Our minds ponder the glory of God while harboring hatred towards our enemies. Rather than being crucified, we crucify others. That's what being ashamed of Christ looks like in our day-to-day lives. Do we know Jesus, or is Jesus just our mascot? a religious name that we hide behind while going through life looking pretty much like everybody else who surrounds us, thinking like everybody else, talking, walking, for the most part, like everybody else. You know, I can't answer that question for you. Only you, only you can answer that for you. What drives you? What drives you as you go about your daily life? What do you, what do you desire most in your daily life? Is it, is it carnal pleasure? Is it social status? Is it popularity? Is it influence? Is it money, power, entertainment? Or is it Christ? Is it discipleship? At the very least, and nobody's perfect, no 
You'll never hear me claim that anybody in the world has ever been perfect but Christ. But it's certainly our call. Do you at least have the desire to give up every aspect of your life for the sake of Christ, for the sake of following Jesus, for the sake of giving up your cross, taking up your cross, and following him? What do you want most out of this life? We want to forfeit our souls to gain the ways of the world? Or do we want something else? I'm trying to figure out where to take this here, where I'm going to wrap this up with. Because I feel like going off script for a second. What? <laughs> I don't know if they want that. I don't know if y'all want that, Mickey. <laughs> you know, church, uh, it's like I told somebody this morning. Um, the, the, the amount that a person attends church or doesn't attend church, the amount that a person participates in our Bible studies, our, our, our other li our life groups, our Sunday morning stuff, or outreach stuff, the, the amount that a person or a family does or does not do that, participate in those things, means really nothing to me. So I'm, nothing. I'm not going to judge you one way or the other. You know, you, you do what you believe God is calling you to do. At the same time, I'm going to preach to you all day long that Christianity is a system of practice. It's a system of growth. And we have made it into a system of belief. We have made Christianity, and I think this is a North American problem, primarily. We have made Jesus our Savior, but we have not made Jesus our Lord. We have succumbed to the gospel of getting our get-out-of-hell-free card, and we have done away completely with this whole idea of actually following Jesus, actually having, experiencing inner transformation in our hearts, and our minds, in our words, and our actions. And I don't know where we get this nonsense from because this has never been a part of historical Christianity at all. Ever. There is a core system of beliefs, absolutely, in Orthodox Christianity, 100%. We recite on most Sunday mornings when we recite the Apostles' Creed. Those are kind of our core foundational beliefs. So yeah, there's some stuff that we, have to, that we have to believe. But Christianity is not an intellectual ascent, folks. Christianity has nothing to do with our intellectualism and our minds. It's, all, it's got everything to do with our hearts. Everything to do with our hearts. It's got everything in the world to do with following Jesus as our Lord. And we're not teaching this, and we're certainly not given this out into the world. If we would, maybe we wouldn't. If we did, maybe we wouldn't have some of the problems, some of the issues that we already have so badly. How bad do we like to complain about the outside world, the outside world, all those sinners outside the church? How horrible of a job we do policing our own sins. How horrible of a job we do policing ourselves. I have begged and I have begged and I have begged since I started preaching my gosh, grow. Pursue God. Pursue Jesus. Pursue growth. Because that's what it's all about. 
That's what it's all about. But most of us just don't want it. Most of us just don't want to change. I talked to you guys last week about 12-step programs. And I, and I went back and I watched my sermon, and there was a point that I, meant, that, I meant to take, that I meant to make, and I didn't do a very good job driving it home. But, you know, there's something about people who have reached their bottom. Whether it's alcoholism, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's, whether it's a divorce, whether it's something to do with our relationships, whether it's losing a job, whatever. Economic problems, what, whatever. There is something about people who have reached a bottom in their lives and have been rescued from that pit of despair through the hands of Jesus Christ. There is something about those people, in my experience, once that happens to them, they want more of it. More so than the rest of the population. In my experience, they want to grow. That's why we talked about last week. We talked about confession last week. That's why you got folks that don't mind confessing their shortcomings to other people. Why do we stink at that so much in the church? What about our pride and our egos will not allow us to confess that we stink from time to time? That we make mistakes, that we have bad thoughts, that we mess people over from time to time. Yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I suffer. I struggle with anger, bitterness, all that stuff out there that's pinned up on that cross that we're talking about. Why can't we do that with one another? But yet you go to an AA meeting and they're just they're they're laughing about it. They're throwing their sins out there. They're talking about all their shortcomings, all this stuff that they suffer with. And I don't mean laughing about it. Ha ha. It's funny because I did that because they're so doggone honest about it. So doggone honest about it. We don't find that in the church. Now I am, here I am back talking about confession again. But y'all, that's a major spiritual practice. There are two spiritual practices that I've engaged in my entire life that, 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 that have been the source that God has used for the most change, the most spiritual growth in my heart and in my mind. One of them is fasting. The other one is confession. Laying my junk out to another human being. Are we wanting to follow Jesus? Are we wanting to lay down our pride to, make, to do what it takes to grow into the image of Christ? Is Jesus our Lord or is Jesus our mascot? Is Jesus something we hide behind? Is Jesus a source of false pride? I see that a lot. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Better than y'all, bunch of heathens. Church, I want you to grow. I didn't get into. I didn't get it. I didn't feel called to ministry for, for the purpose of beating people up. I hated getting beat up when I was a kid growing up in church. I'll never do that to another human being, to the best of my knowledge, best of my ability. But I want you to grow, man. And I'm not saying any of you guys are spiritually sick. But there's always room for growth. Always room for growth. I just wish people wanted it. I, pe I wish people understood it, and I wish that people wanted it. I wish people wanted to grow into the image of Christ. I wish that people wanted to take the steps necessary to be able to do so. I'm going to repeat it one more time. Coming here one and I want, listening to my nonsense for an hour a week isn't going to do it. 
I hope you pray. I hope you search the scriptures. If you're not doing it now, I hope that you will join your church family and your community in searching the scriptures, in fellowshipping together, in practicing the art and the spiritual practice and the discipline of accountability of one another. That's how growth happens. What did we read from James last week? Pray for each other. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. I just want to see you grow, church. I just, I just want to see you guys flourish. I want you to see you guys. I want to have that abundant life that Christ talks about, that fullness of life. And I want to see you guys have it. And that's all about peace and contentment in heart. Peace, contentment. What's the two of the greatest commandments? Loving God, loving other people. I want to do that. I want to be that. And I want you guys to be that. Um, yeah. I don't think I've made it any secret since day one of being here that this is not a job for me. I don't, if I wanted a job, if I wanted to pull in a paycheck, there's a lot more avenues that are a heck of a lot less stressful that I could be doing. I do this because my life has been changed by Christ and because I have a calling from God, not because I'm perfect because I never will be. I have a calling from God and I'm serious about it. And I want other people to have that. I want other people to be serious about that. And I hope, if you're not, I hope that you will be. Folks, I'm going to make one more comment. I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys go to the house. Learn who Jesus is. Learn who Jesus is. A lot of us, we, 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 we've got, some, we've got some, uh, some base understanding of who he is. You know, we can read a lot about his character in the Gospels and uh, his teachings, particularly Sermon on the Mount. You know that I know that, that I love the Sermon on the Mount. Christianity is a whole different system of being, living, and thinking than anything else in the world. Let me tell you what we hear. How many criticize the church? We, in North America, excellent job. Wonderful job. Making nice people. Making good American citizens. Unfortunately, that ain't the job of the church. We're supposed to be making Christians. And I hope that y'all follow me on what I say. That ain't nothing been wrong with being nice. Ain't nothing wrong with being a good citizen. But that ain't the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And sometimes those things do conflict. A lot of times those things do conflict. We're called Christianity for a reason. We're called Christians for a reason. Because we follow a man named Christ. Not because we come here, we listen to a halfway decent sermon home and want to live like the rest of the world. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for Christ who shows us the way. God, I pray during this Lent season that you would break my heart. I pray during this Lenten season that you would break the heart of your church. I pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I pray for hearts and minds that are open to the very real presence of God who is with us at all times. I pray, God, that a, 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 a revival would break out among your people. Heavenly Father, that we would start becoming more honest with ourselves, or more honest with other people, that we would sincerely, sincerely seek ourselves and uh, our, our, where, where we fall short, God. Where do, where do we fall short? 
Where do we fall short in loving you? Where do we fall short in loving other people? What are those areas in our lives, those obstacles that we have that are preventing a full relationship with you and with other people? We talk about changing the world, God. Changing the world starts with us as individuals, as churches. We want to see the world change. We want to see the neighborhood change, God. Let it start right here. Break our hearts. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.